Hi friends, this is Will Dyer, the pastor here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the message that you are about to hear will give you some joy in your day. But more than that, I hope that this message will connect you to Jesus. The mission of our church is to connect people to Jesus Christ in a community of faith. And it is my greatest hope that the message you are about to hear will better connect you with Jesus and His way in the world. Good morning, friends. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And in just a moment, we are going to read verses 24 through 29. It is unbelievable to me that we are wrapping up our 14-week series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that greatest teaching ever told. Uh, But today, friends, as incredible as this series has been, it is time for us to land the plane. And so what I want you to do is to turn with me in your Bibles, or if you don't have one, no worries from your own home, wherever you are, you can simply follow along with the words on the screen as we hear from Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Jesus says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Well, friends, I got to tell you something happened this week that I never imagined was possible. You might know where I'm going, but this week, as a Georgia sports fan who has gone decades without a championship, this week, I and you, I'm sure, were able to celebrate that the Atlanta Braves won the World Series, our first championship since 1995. And I have to tell you, I stayed up for every single game, and every single morning, I was tired. But I couldn't believe it. We won. And one of the byproducts of us winning the World Series was that my eight-year-old daughter all of a sudden became super interested in baseball because they were talking about it at school. And and so one day she comes home and she said, Dad, Dad, uh, can you teach me about baseball? Which is like, you guys, I cannot explain to you how big of a deal that is for me. I've got three little girls and none of them care about sports and their dad definitely does. And and so when Miriam says, dad, can you teach me about baseball? Friends, I jumped into action. 
I, I start explaining. There are nine players on the field, and here are their positions. There's 90 feet between each base, and there's 60 feet, six inches from the pitcher's mound to the catcher's box. I, I taught her how to stand with a bat in her hand, and I taught her how to put her glove on properly. I mean, we went through so much stuff. And then finally, after probably 10 minutes of me talking about the game and how you play it and why it's so wonderful, my eight-year-old daughter looks at me and she said, Dad, I just want to throw the ball. Can we please just go outside and throw the ball? <laughs> and it was one of those reminders for me as somebody who is a huge sports nut in general. But, but for my eight-year-old daughter, it was a reminder that the point of learning the game was ultimately to go and play it. She needed to know the mechanics of throwing a baseball or swinging a bat, but ultimately the goal of learning was to play. Dad, can we just go outside and throw the ball? And so that's what we did. And we had this incredible time. And as we were standing outside throwing the ball, guys, I got to tell you, it was one of those moments where immediately my mind went to this section, this final section of the Sermon on the Mount. Because you've got to remember what Jesus has been doing all throughout this sermon in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7. What we've talked about for 14 consecutive weeks is how Jesus in this sermon is extending to his followers both then and now an invitation. That Jesus is extending to us an invitation on how we can live within the flow of the kingdom of God, right? Jesus at the beginning tells us who is blessed in the kingdom. And the answer is everyone. Jesus teaches us about how we can live without anger, how we can live without contempt. Jesus teaches us about how we can respond to people who are hateful with generosity, how we can respond with grace in situations of just wicked unkindness. Jesus in this section is offering to us in the Sermon on the Mount an opportunity to live within the flow of the kingdom of God, to live out the prayer that he taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the Sermon on the Mount, as we have said every single week, is not a list of things that we have to do in order, in order to be in God's good graces. But the Sermon on the Mount is an invitation to become a certain sort of human being that is filled with the glory of God. Jesus is explaining, in essence, how to do this thing called life. And then we reach this moment finally at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where he's been teaching and he's been uh, showing us the better way. And then at this climactic moment, he issues really what is a simple thing for us. He says, guys, I have taught you everything you need to know. And then therefore, therefore, Jesus says, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a house that is built on the rock. And the winds will come, and the rain will fall, and the house will be secure. 
But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, well, then they are like someone who built their house on the sand and the winds are going to come and the rain is going to fall and their house won't stand. And then he says it will fall with a great crash. In this final section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is incredibly clear. I have taught you how to live. And now it is time for action. In essence, what Jesus is laying out for us in this final brief section in the Sermon on the Mount is two things that he is asking of us. He is saying, first, I want you to listen to everything I have taught you. And, and that is central, friends. I hope that you've been listening over the course of the past 14 weeks. As a matter of fact, if you remember, I asked us to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. And I wonder how many of you have been able to memorize the entirety of this incredible sermon. And I'll tell you what, if you're watching online or on television and you have memorized over the course of the past 14 weeks the entirety of that sermon, shoot me an email, willdyer at fbcaugusta.org, and I give you my word. I will go out and I will buy you lunch, I will buy you dinner, and it is on me because I want to know who you are. Because Jesus says the first step in living into the fullness is to listen to what he teaches. You see, but the beauty of this gospel story of Jesus is that he never stops with simply listening. But in this next movement, Jesus says it is one thing to listen to these words of mine. But if you want to build your house on the rock, if you want to build your life in such a way that you can live into the fullness of who God created you to be, it is not simply enough to listen. But then Jesus says that we should act. And so if I can just sum up for you what Jesus is asking of us as we wind down this series on the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is saying is he's telling us we should listen first. And then second, Jesus is telling us that we should act. And if you want to live well, it is one thing to have your ears open, but it is something else to have your heart and your life open to live this Jesus way in the world. So you listen and then you act. And that is the key, my friends. Now, I gotta be crystal clear on something before I move forward with the rest of this sermon because some of you who are watching, when I talk about action, when I talk about doing things, when I talk about work, to use that religious phrase, some of you begin to get really nervous because you think what, what Jesus, is he saying that I have to do something in order to be in right relationship with God? Is he saying that I have to do something in order to be saved and to have eternity with God? And I want to be crystal clear on this fact, friends. That is not at all what Jesus is talking about. The firm and solid conviction of the gospel it is, I think Paul might say it best in the book of Ephesians, that you are saved by grace through faith. And it is not of your own doing. It's not of your own initiative, but it is the gift of God. You see, friends, when Jesus in this section of the Sermon on the Mount says it is one thing to listen and it is another thing to act, he's not talking about your eternity no, your eternal destination, your relationship with God is on a firm footing. 
Not because of anything you have done, but because of everything that Jesus has done. That at the center of this gospel story is this incredible reality that because of Jesus and Jesus alone, because of his life and his death, because of his resurrection on the third day, we as his followers believe that God has extended his love to all of us who call on his name that God has extended his grace and his kindness, that we are his children all because of Jesus. And so some of you need to hear that message today more than anything else, that God loves you. And it's all because of Jesus and what he has done. Some of you need to know that you, that you are loved by God. But rest easy, my friends. Don't get nervous about what Jesus is talking about here, that it is one thing to listen, and that's good, but if you really want to build your house on a firm foundation, then you have to do. Because Jesus isn't, again, talking about eternity. Jesus is talking about today. Jesus is, in fact, talking about right now. You, you have to understand that the Sermon on the Mount, as we've already talked about, is this invitation to live in a new way, to live in a way that is open to the possibility of all the goodness that is around us, the possibility to see, as Jesus does, that the world is fundamentally at its core a good place given to us by a good God. And we have to understand that the Sermon on the Mount is an invitation to live into the fullness of who God created you to be. As that great saint of the early church, Irenaeus, says that the glory of God is a human being that is fully alive. And the Sermon on the Mount is an invitation through these words of Jesus to be fully alive. And Jesus is clear that if you want to live that way with purpose, if you want to live that way with joy, if you want to live that way with grace and kindness and wonder, then it is one thing to listen and we follow it up by doing. And we have to be crystal clear in this section as we land the plane on the Sermon on the Mount that this teaching of Jesus is to be implemented in my life and in your life today. Today. Because Jesus is talking about now. Jesus is talking about the life that each and every one of us is currently living. And that, my friends, is central to understanding the power behind this Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking about life today in 2021. And you can, without question, absolutely make this a universal teaching. But the fact of the matter is, friends, and what I really love about Jesus is that he is always speaking to a specific audience. And in this case, Jesus is talking about a very specific thing that people in his age some 2,000 years ago, would have understood through a very particular lens. Some of the language he uses would have set off buzzwords and bells in their minds. And so what I want you to do is to journey with me for just a moment, to go back to the time of Jesus. If you would, put on your first century glasses for a few minutes, because if you're willing to do that, if we're willing to put Jesus into context, 
as we round out this sermon on the mount, then I want to say to you that we can find so much more power. We can find so much more possibility in what Jesus is saying to those earliest followers, but also what Jesus is saying to us today. Because you have to remember that Jesus, while he's delivering this Sermon on the Mount, he had gone up on a hillside and he sat down teaching in the manner of an authoritative Jewish rabbi. And he's speaking primarily to his disciples, these 12 men who were Jewish. And there were thousands of people who had gathered on the, on the hillside in the northern Galilee of Israel. And they were, every single one of them, most likely Jewish. And so Jesus is speaking to Jews in Jewish territory in the first century. And when Jesus begins to talk about a house, and when Jesus begins to talk about rock and sand, yes, geographically they would have understood all that, but there's one thing in particular that gets lost on us if we're not paying close attention. Because when Jesus says that one phrase in particular, like a house that is built on a rock, Friends, that would have sent off exclamation points and lightning bolts in the, in the minds of each and every one of those people who was listening to that Sermon on the Mount. Because there was already something in Israel that was described as the house that was built on the rock. You see, Herod the Great, th this king who had been reigning over Israel since 20 B.C., he had begun this incredibly uh, massive project. And, and it was carried on later by his next son, Herod Antipas, and another son after that. But basically, Herod the Great and all of his sons began the restoration of the temple. The temple, that place in Jerusalem that was literally, Jews believed, the place where heaven and earth came together. It was the place where the presence of God dwelt. And Herod, this king who was in bed with the Roman Empire, was collaborating with them and had sold out to them. He had begun this restoration of the temple expanding it and making it bigger and more grand than anyone could have imagined. It was 15 stories high. It took up blocks and blocks, miles where you could see it. It was filled with gold and silver and incredible jewels. You could see it from all around. And Herod and those in his royal house and in popular slogans, you know what they referred to the temple as? They referred to the temple as the house, the house of God that was built on the rock. <laughs> and so when Jesus comes along and he says there is, in fact, a house that is built on a rock, but it isn't that place in Jerusalem. No, there is a house that is built on a rock and it is all of my people who hear my words and they do what I say. Jesus says there is a temple. There is a place where the presence of God dwells, but it isn't in Jerusalem. Instead, it is inside of each and every person who calls on my name and who does what I teach. 
So these first century followers of Jesus, their minds would have been blown because he was offering to them an alternative script where they had been taught that God was. Jesus says, there's actually a new thing afoot. And God can't be kept under wraps. And God can't be contained in a building just for one group of people. But Jesus says the presence of God and the Spirit has been set loose in this world because of Him. And there is a house that is built on the rock. But it isn't in Jerusalem. There's a house that is built on the rock. And it is anyone who calls on His name who hears those words that he teaches and then, my friends, is willing to go and do it. Uh, many of you know how much I love N.T. Wright, that incredible New Testament scholar and pastor. And in his book, Jesus and the Victory of God, great academic book. If you're into really kind of heady, thick stuff, highly recommend that book to you. But there's a section where, Jesus, where Wright lays this out for us. And I want to read to you just one quote from that book where N.T. Wright has this to say, that at the heart of Jerusalem is the temple. It is the house that is built on the rock. You see, the sermon ends with a coded but very sharp warning. The real new temple, the real house on the rock will consist of the community that builds its life upon Jesus' words and all other attempts to create a new temple, a pure or revolutionary community. It would be like building a house on the sand. You see, friends, there were movements afoot in Israel. There were people like Jesus who claimed to be leading new revolutions in the day and the time. There were groups like the Essenes who said that God was doing a new thing and what we needed to do was to escape from the world to go and live in isolation away from everyone else because we are pure and the rest of the world is evil. And God would build us, the Essenes said, as that new house on the rock. There were other groups in Jerusalem during this time of Jesus, the Zealots, who believed that God had called them to wage war against the Romans, to go and bring a violent revolution afoot. And then and only then would God do a new thing. And they were the ones who were that house being built on the rock. And then there were those temple elite who had gotten into relationship with the Roman Empire, as I said earlier, and had begun to be friendly with them and sell out the people of Israel to enhance their own wealth and their own reputation. And they believed that they were that they had the temple. They had the presence. They had the Holy of Holies. And surely they were the house that was built on the rock. And in this incredible section, that every single person listening to would have understood immediately 
What Jesus is saying is that there is, in fact, a movement of God that is happening right now. There is a new thing that is underway. There is a new creation that is launching in the midst of the old world of death and decay. There is, in fact, a house that is being built on the rock. And that rock is Jesus and his teaching. That rock is Jesus' death and his resurrection and the house that is being built contrary to the temple elite, contrary to the Essenes, contrary to the zealots. It was not them, but the house that was being built is the church of Jesus Christ. And anyone who listens to what he says and acts it out in their lives, Jesus says to Peter, I will build my house on this rock and the gates of hell cannot stand against it. See, friends, what Jesus is doing as he lands this plane, as he concludes this Sermon on the Mount, as he is directly addressing those Jews who were listening and directly addressing us who are living here in the 21st century, and he is saying that we are the people who are built on the rock, that he is the rock around which we build our lives, our house, so to speak, to use language from earlier on. We are the light of the world. We are the city on a hill. We are God's people. And if we have been listening to what Jesus teaches and now we are equipped and prepared by the Spirit to go out and do this thing in the world, then Jesus says the revolution is underway and our houses, our lives will be strong when those winds blow. Our lives will be battle tested and the rains will fall And the difficulties will come, but we are ready to move forward with grace and with kindness, with possibility and with love. We are ready to bring forth the revolution of gospel love in this world. And Jesus says, I've taught you everything you need to know. And now, my friends, it is time to go and do it. Jesus invites us to listen. Jesus invites us to listen. And I know a lot of Christians out there that can quote Bible verses left and right. I know a lot of people who grew up in church. And what did they call those things? Sword drills? Where it's like, open the Bible and who can read the fastest verse? I know a lot of people who have listened to these words. But friends, do not kid yourselves. Part of the struggle of the church in our day and age is that too many people have listened but have had no intention of acting. And Jesus says if we want to be part of this revolutionary movement that is known as the kingdom of God, then friends, we listen and then we act. We listen and then we go and do. We listen to the rock and then we build our life on his firm foundation. And so ultimately, ultimately as as we conclude this series, I really have one primary question for you. I have one primary question for us. What sort of house are we building? What sort of house are we building? 
What is the foundation that is at the core of our existence? I ask that question to you as an individual. What is the foundation of your life? Is it your success in work? Because if it is, friends, ultimately you will find that it will fall with a great crash. What is the foundation around which you build your life? Is it the happiness of your family? Because you need to know, friends, if that is the thing around which you build the core of your existence, then ultimately you will be let down. How is your house being built? And ultimately the question is, what is the foundation? That is the question for you as individuals. That's the question for me as an individual. But, but really today, as I remember that Jesus is speaking to this crowd of people who have gathered to hear him, I cannot help but believe that Jesus is speaking to the crowd of people online, on television, and ultimately in the room. Jesus is speaking to us collectively as the church. And we have to ask that deep question. What is the foundation of our house? What is the foundation of our life? I was reading this story the other day, and there was this shocking statistic that, that Barna, uh, uh, this research group in the United States, is estimating that 15,000 churches in the United States are going to close this year alone. And I talked to pastor friends who had this incredible anxiety about the state of their churches. And I talked to church members, not necessarily here, but all across the state of Georgia and the Southeast who have talked about the glory days of their church. And they talk about those days when the seats were full and the offering plates were overflowing with money and now they lament the state of what is happening in their churches and some of you are watching me this morning and watching us this morning before you go to your church and you know exactly what I'm talking about and the question that I want to ask to you for those of us who are worried about the future of the church for those of us who are worried about what is gonna happen in 2022 and beyond, ultimately the question we have to ask ourselves is what is our foundation? What is our foundation? What do we build our common life together around? And because you need to know this because Jesus is absolutely certain and solid on this point. That if you build your church around a foundation of full pews, then your house will fall. If you think the foundation of your church is a budget that is exceeding what your expenses are, then friends, listen to me. Your house, it will fall. If you're watching this morning and you think that the foundation of the church is the personality of a pastor, and I've got sad news for you. That house is going to fall. 
If you're watching this morning and you think that the foundation of the Christian faith, as I read in an article that broke my heart this week, because so many think that the new foundation of the Christian faith is in alignment with the political party. Friends, your house is going to fall. And great, Jesus says, will be its destruction. What is your foundation? And Jesus says, if you build your life as an individual, or if you build your life as a community around anything other than his words that he teaches us and the actions he gives us to do, then your house as that great song says, is like sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And so Jesus is pretty clear that he teaches us this sermon on the mount so that we might go and live this beautiful life in the world. I love how the Sermon on the Mount ends. Jesus wraps up those final words and then Matthew the storyteller cannot help but just give us a little bit more commentary. He says that the crowds when Jesus finished the crowds were amazed because Jesus taught with his authority not like their scribes not like their Pharisees who didn't know how to do such amazing things. I love what Matthew says. Jesus taught with authority, and the people were amazed. Friends, I don't know about you, but when I read through this Sermon on the Mount, and when I see the sort of life that Jesus says is possible for us to live, when I see the full potential that is realized in the Son of Man who came to earth and died for us, when I see the resurrection on the third day, when I see the one who ascended to the right hand of the Father and who is ruling over all of creation, when I see the one who sends his Spirit to live on us, his people, friends, there is one word to describe it. It is amazed (laughs) this Jesus his teaching and his life it's amazing and the foundation on him it is secure it is firm And, and if we are willing to build our life around him then not only will we see that Jesus is amazing Increasingly, friends, I want you to know that those out in the world who are searching for a better way, they will also see that joy, that wonder, that amazement in us. Jesus says, I've taught you what to do. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Well then, my friends, your life is secure and your joy is limitless and the gospel is at hand. That, my friends, 
is the Sermon on the Mount. That, my friends, is the master class of Jesus. That, my friends, is really good news. Let's take a few moments now. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful. We are grateful for a time that we can spend together, God, digging into Jesus' words for us in this Sermon on the Mount. And Lord, it is a challenging thing he's asked us to do, to not only listen to this teaching, but God, then to put it into action. But Lord, we want our lives to be secure. We all, I believe, watching online and on television want joy and hope and wonder in our lives. And so God, convict us in our hearts. Help us to see this morning, deep down in the depths of our bones, that it is by hearing your word and by living it out that we can find your grace, that we can find your joy that we can build our life on a rock that can be trusted. Lord, for those of us who have been hearing your word for so long, but we've never chosen to act it out, that we've never chosen to live in your way, Lord, open our hearts and help us to turn and go a better way this morning. Lord, for my brothers and sisters who are watching online for my friends who have walked away from the Jesus story help them to know you are with them God help them to know you love them help them to know that you on you their life can be secure God we we thank you for this time we share together we thank you for the sermon on the mount but most of all oh God we thank you for your son Jesus and we ask this prayer in his name Amen. Amen.